I have to say this. I'm old school. Eric comes up and says, hey, pull your phones out. I'm like, but my, but my book, my Bible, I love the Bible. I love the Bible, and I think Bible, I think book. But you're right. Now it's, a, it's, it's, on the, it's on the phone. It's everywhere, and that's really good. It's also on the screens, and we'll see today as we look at uh, what we're talking about. We put the scripture up, and you can see it there too. But if you want to look in your Bible or on your phone, it's Exodus chapter 23 is where we are. And, you know... <laughs> I'm getting old, but, but, but when I was a kid, hotshot kid, I thought I knew everything, and I was, I was going to college at a kind of prestigious university on the East Coast, and, and I was in this special major, it was this, uh, part of it was economics, so I was in this high-level economics class and was just starting, and it was like this, uh, just, just a few of us, and, and, but I'd read the syllabus, I knew the readings, I knew it was going to come in and go through it, it's kind of boring, but, but you know, economics. And, and the guy comes in who's going to teach it. And he was a mountain of a man. He's like 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and I'm tall, you know, but I was sitting down. And he just comes into his mouth. And then he opens his mouth. And all of a sudden, I was like, wow, monetary policy is interesting. Because everything he said was amazing. I was like, if anyone I want to run the country, in our mo- I want that guy. He knows he knows what he's doing. He'll take us good place. I want his name was Paul Volcker. If you know him, he used to be the head of the Federal Reserve. He was amazingly smart. Amazing. Now I say that to you because I'm so glad I'm not in charge of my life or yours. But there is somebody so amazingly smart and so amazingly imposing, so amazingly incredible who is and he's got you. <laughs> Way more than any Paul Volcker, who died a few years ago. And it's Christ. And it's God. And, and, and sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we read, even these Old Testament, they're meant to be pictures for us. Pictures of the amazing care that God has for you and for me, for his people. And again, I'm making a huge leap, saying that if you're here today, you're one of his people. That's a question you've got to answer But I want you to see, and perhaps you haven't, you know, I read this week's passage, and it's a passage I've probably, I mean, I've read Exodus, what, a hundred times in my life? Over and over you read the Bible, but sometimes there are passages that you kind of think, wow, I never really saw that before. There's some stuff in here like that. And I want you to see how amazing it is what God has done, is doing, is for you. And then just the pictures, you might think, does he have a plan? Do you really think he's got a plan for you? And then secondarily, do you really think he's God? Do you really, do you have a God and is he like living and alive? And I think these pictures can help us. The first thing I want you to see is the pictures of of, of planning and, and, and agency. Agency means who's doing it. Because I think a lot of times, man, I plan and I worry and I have anxiety. I don't know. I hope to get where I'm going to go. I want you to see what's happening in this passage. And so we're in Exodus. It's, it's again, chapter 23. We're going to pick it up in verse 20. Quite a bit of reading, but just get the flow of kind of what's happening as we go through. So chapter 23, verse 20. Here we go. This is God. God is speaking to Moses. Moses is going to tell the people. So here he goes, and he says, Behold, to Moses, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way 
and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. Okay. Now, pick it up with me where we've been, right? We're here at Mount Sinai. They've been through the Red Sea. The people have been taken to this mountain, and they're just waiting there while God's kind of instructing them. And God gave them the Ten Commandments, and he's given them this whole sort of what's called the Book of the Covenant, these rules that we've been through, you and I. The civil law, sort of the holiness law, that if you're holy, you should act this way. And now God says, make sure you follow the rules get that. But what catches me, I've got an angel that's going to go before you. Did did you catch that? It's pretty amazing. I have an angel that's guarding you and getting you to where I want you to be. Listen to him, of course. Don't rebel against him. No, duh. But, But the wonder is, it's not here. I've got a map for you. Oh, open here. I'm going I'm I'm to make the geographical things and make sure you follow the way and you guys get there. No, he says, I've got an angel who's going to go and he's going to keep you and he's going to guard you. <laughs> That's so cool. I love it. I have another entity who's getting you exactly where you're supposed to be. I have another entity who's guarding you along the way. God, God, is okay to say God has no trouble guarding his people and getting them to where they're supposed to be. He's got plans and he's got means and we can't say that enough. It's so against what we think. I think I fall into this trap a lot of sort of, I've got a coded secret picture book. If I could just figure out the right things, then I'll get to where I'm supposed to be. Do you see that that's not it at all? According to the Bible? I was like, you're my people. I'm putting someone ahead of you I'm going to make sure that they get exactly to where you're supposed to go. And he's going to make sure you're guarded along the way, lest you go the wrong way or lest someone else try and get you. I've got you, he says. That's what he's saying. Nothing is further from the truth. If if what you start to think is, well, it's kind of up to me to figure this all out. If I don't figure it out right, then I don't know that I'll get there. (laughs) That's not this. In fact, Uh, look, but if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. I've got this. You just listen and obey. Okay, we're going to talk about that. But it says, but the main thing, right? I'll be an enemy to your enemies. What is that particularly? What does it mean? Okay, God's going to be an enemy to my enemies. Well, that's great. I've got a lot of enemies. (laughs) No. Look, when my angel goes before you, and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Oh, all those ites. When he brings you there and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. Be loyal to me, God says, as I go out for you. Don't serve them. Don't go to them. Those other gods aren't your God. Don't worship them. It's bad for you. Okay, off we go, usually, 
this point as we read, and I, I'm tempted to always, to go into what you are and aren't to do to make sure that you support God so he'll go before you and do the things that you want him to do and, and conquering these bad thing people out there and, 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 and preserving you. But, but this isn't really about that, this passage. This passage is a picture of what? What he does for them. What is God doing? Look, verse 25. You shall serve Yahweh your God, and he will what? Bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. Wow, serve God, you're going to have blessed food. That means you'll have enough to eat. You'll serve God, they'll have no sickness. It's taken away from you. God can do that? Well, that's just hyperbole. You know, God's not actually saying that, right? Well, hold my beer. Sorry, I'm saying that from the pulpit. It just gets amazingly more. Keep going. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. What? Wow, nobody miscarry, nobody be barren. That, and, and be barren means you want to have kids and you can't have kids. This starts to hit me. I read that, you know, my wife and I barren. We tried to have kids for 10 years. No. Somebody in our church family just had a miscarriage. Nobody, God says, wow, and, and your number of your days fulfilled, that means you're going to have a full life by God's standards. I want this. I, I want this. I, I want this blessing. And he keeps going, right? I shall send my terror before you, and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. <laughs> have a successful life. Try having God go before you and strike terror into everyone who's against you. <laughs> oh, that sounds so cool. Nobody will stand before you, not because of your prowess or what you're going to do or how well you hold a sword or how well you've trained or what your battle formation is. No, just because God's going to go strike terror into the people out there who might do things against you. God's direct action, right? Say, so what do you mean direct action? Well, look at this. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites from before you. I'll tell you what, Northwest Washington has nothing on God. Murder hornets are a thing. They're going to go into Canaan. They're going to drive, hornets going to drive out people. I mean, can you soak in the picture a minute? Planned specifically by God. He's got a plan. He's doing a work. He has them all the way. And, and even, even he's thought through how he's going to do it and what's going to happen. And, and, and look at this. So I'm not going to drive them out from you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I'll drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess the land. You know, if I know if I just did it, God says, poof, there'd be other problems, you know, wild beasts, other things. So I'll work a little at a time so the land is perfectly ready for you. And this is fabulous, isn't it? It's okay to say that. 
He knows exactly where they're going to live. I'm going to set your border, he says. I'll set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. Right? Even this last, it's a mercy to his people. It's not some sort of litmus test. Drive them out because they're bad for you. It's I'm I'm getting rid of them because they're going to make you stumble and you're my people. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. I mean, all the way through from the start of this, this paragraph all the way through, it's all these things God's doing and they're amazing things. Remarkable things. God says to his people, right? I have you. And when God says he has you, it means he really does. Doesn't mean he's going to give you some good counsel so that you'll you know, be able to get to where you're supposed to go. Doesn't mean you're going to have a map so you kind of know how you should live. It doesn't mean you should have some instruction about what to do. He's like, no, I, I've got you. You're not going to have any miscarriages. I'm going to bless your food. You're not going to be sick. <laughs> There's a rash of sickness this week in the church. This is so amazing to me. I start going, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I, do you think God works this way? I think this is one of the hardest things as a Christian sometimes is that this piece, I go, why isn't he doing it for me? Why isn't he doing it for us? And, and so the corollary to that is maybe it's the problem of obedience. Maybe it's the problem. If I would do the right things, then God would bless me. I, I, I had this all the time. Maybe you have too. But, but in my personal struggles with, with barrenness, people would come and say, well, if you just really humbled your heart before God, then he would do it. Hundreds of people told me that. We start going, wow, these look like promises that are conditioned on obedience. But actually, that's not what they are. This is a picture of a God who acts This is a picture of a God who has a plan. Do you think God has a plan? Now you can say, it it might be altered if I do something. We'll handle that in a minute. But the first thing you got to see the picture is, does God have a plan? God's just not saying, well, I'm going to do some cool stuff for you. Uh, He's not doing that here. He's saying to his people, I know exactly what I'm doing for you. I'm going to take you to this land and I'm going to guard you along the way. And that means you're going to get there. You're not getting there because you're keeping, I'm, you're getting there because my angel's going and making sure you get there. And then once you're there, I'm going to get the people out a little at a time. This is my plan, he says. We're going to push them back and push them back because I, I, I don't want wild beasts there for you. And I'm going to make it so you have enough to eat. I'm going to make it so you're not sick. And I'm going to make it so you have kids. I, wow! God has a plan for his people in this text. And, and this is thousands of years ago. These are not you exactly, but the, the God is the same. He's not without specific plans, is he? That's an amazing picture that God cares for his people and he cares for them specifically, very specifically. Okay, so hold that thought. That's a specific care of God. He's got a plan for his people. He had it then. It, there's some specifics about, well, if you do this, I'll do that. So we've got to handle that and think about it. But I, I, I don't want you to miss the main thought, which is that 
They didn't intimately know God. God's sharing who he is with them. And he shares this thing that basically says, I've got you. Let me show you the ways. Okay, so that's one piece. Now, now let's think about another picture. An awesome experience going on here in our text. It's not just about the, the plans, the picture of God's plans. It's a picture of actually what they saw and experienced. See this. Let's keep going. So chapter 24, verse 1. Then God said to Moses, come up to Yahweh. You and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 of the elders of Israel and worship from afar. So th- this whole piece where God is speaking to Moses and then he says, go get the elders and bring them up. Because the people, if you remember, they're at the bottom of this big mountain, Mount Sinai, and, and they're looking up at the clouds and their thunders and they were scared. And, and then only Moses went up and now God sends Moses back to bring up some other people. Part way. These guys. The 70 elders and, and, and Nadab and Abihu and, and Aaron. Nadab and Abihu are Aaron's kids. So they can worship. Moses alone shall come near to Yahweh, but the others shall not come near and the people shall not come up with them. So this kind of leveled thing where some people are getting an experience, but it's all written down for us to see. Okay, keep, keep going with me. Don't lose me. So here we go. Moses came and told the people all the words of Yahweh and all the rules. Okay, those are the rules we've been going through from the Ten Commandments to the civil law to the ways there to show they're set apart for God. All of them together. It's called the Book of the Covenant and we've been through it. That's just what we've been through. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that Yahweh has spoken, we will do. I kind of want to laugh, but I don't because it's tragic. But they're saying, right, about the Ten Commandments, about all the laws of God, they're going to do them. Okay, just, we'll just leave that there for a moment, but that's, that's what they're saying. We're going to do this. We will. And so Moses wrote down all the words of Yahweh. He rose early in the morning. He built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he, he sent young men and, uh, of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to Yahweh. So this is big, huge thing where all the people are gathered around and, and he sets up these altars and then they offer burnt offerings, which is for sin and, and, and fellowship offerings. Which God is with us. And the important thing is this. From those offerings, they got blood. So Moses took half the blood and he put it in basins and and, and half the blood he threw against the altar. They're making a promise to God that they're going to obey him and do all his rules. And God's made these plans for them. And how do they seal it? They seal it with the blood. So he took half and he put it in basins, he threw against the altar. But then the other half he took, and, and, and as he read, did I skip it? Yeah. Half that he threw against them. But, but in between, he read the book of the covenant. So I'm, I'm skipping a verse, sorry. Moses took half the blood, he put it in basins, half he threw against the altar. And then he said, he's, he took the book of the covenant and he read it in the hearing of the people. The book of the covenant starts with the 10 commandments and goes through all the laws. We already went through the past two weeks and, and that's the book of the covenant. And he says, okay, this is all that Yahweh has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. 
You know, my, my neighbor's donkey falls in a pit, I'll rescue it. If, if, uh, I'll follow all the civil law, I'll, I'll do the Ten Commandments, I'll realize God set me apart, so I'll be especially kind to the sojourner and the, the poor person. I'll do all of that. God said to do it, yes, done. Just bless my food and don't make me barren and take me to the land and do all this cool stuff. And so Moses then took the blood and he threw it on the people. That other half of the blood, right? Behold the blood of the covenant that Yahweh has made with you in accordance with all these words. This is the making of a covenant. So then Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and 70 of the elders, they went up like God had told them. That God was interested in this little pause as God's going to take the elders up halfway. So they go up this mountain and This is something I hadn't seen before. And they saw the God of Israel. Wait a minute. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. What's that? I have no idea. But I want you to see it, don't you? So the picture, right, that they come up the mountain, halfway up the mountain, they don't even get to the top, and, and all of a sudden they have this, this, this picture of God, and then the picture of they see God. No one has seen God and never lived. Even Moses just gets to see the backside of God, right, that he doesn't get to see God. So here the seeing of God somehow, they have this, the, this peace that they get to see, but the only thing we really know is under his feet is like clear sapphire. So this like blue clarity, almost like heaven has clear gold. It's revelation, right? But here we have this, in Exodus, thousands of years before, this vision of God. Wow. Here's God, and he's giving them an experience, at least of his presence. It's amazing. They, they, and it says they, they, I mean, look at this. And he didn't lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. What in the world? Yeah, yeah that's just amazing. They're eating with God. You just don't do that. This is like, this is Old Testament. Like, if you see God, you die. When anyone, even the close to the presence of God, they fall over on their face and they say, woe is me, that's Isaiah, right? Anybody who sees God, it's like, immediately I'm dead. Even, even Manoah and his wife, we looked at on Mother's Day. It's like, oh, was that God? Oh, we're gonna die. <laughs> These guys are like having a snack with God. Why is this important? Because it's just not done. And all of a sudden, God with unholy people is bringing me and saying, I want you to see me. I want you to experience the reality of me. And, and, and that's what they do, right? This picture of God with men and they not being burned away by raw holiness and power and, and awesomeness. And, and then there's more. God says to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. Come on up, I want to give you the stone tablets. You know, with the Ten Commandments that God himself is writing for his people. This is so special. This is like, you're my people. I'm letting you in to kind of be near me. I'm going to be with you. Just obey me. Listen, of course, because I'm God and I'm going to get you exactly where you're supposed to go. I'm so for you. 
So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he, he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. So Moses has set up these, these, these leaders. Uh, Joshua's dad, who's Hur, is one of them. And, and Aaron's there too, and Aaron's kids are there. And, and so you guys listen to them. Joshua and I are going in. Because the top of the mountain, you remember, is this like cloud of glory. radical and powerful and awesome and terrifying and they go and so there Moses went up the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain so it's almost like Moses walks into the cloud and they disappear from sight and this glorious cloud and thundering is still over this mountain the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai. The cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the cloud. So they went up into the cloud, him and Joshua. And what did they do? They waited for seven days. Well, six days. They just sat there. Because the glory is so heavy. The amazingness of God. The God who made everything is, is, is there. This is radical. They're hiking up and they're just waiting, six days of waiting, looking at this thick supernatural cloud of glory day, 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 day after day. Finally, God says, okay, on the seventh day, they go in. Now, the, the appearance of the glory of Yahweh was like a devouring fire at the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. So it looks like Moses went into fire. Joshua with him. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days, 40 nights. In he goes. And they're gone. 40 days and 40 nights, that's like a lot, right? <laughs> that has overtones of a variety of things. But the main thing here is the picture of God, their God, our God. He, he, he lets human beings see him, and they can write, all they can write down is the pavement he's standing on. It's like clear sapphire. It's otherworldly, and Moses and Joshua are getting closer. They're just sitting in front of this massive cloud of fire and glory, and then they're going in and disappearing for 40 days and 40 nights. Would you ever forget... There you are at the bottom of this mountain. You're looking up as your, your leaders go in and they disappear into a cloud of fire. And your elders are going to come and say, you know, we saw. But all I can tell you is the pavement was like clear sapphire, the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And God's rumbling up there and he's told us this is what he's going to do. Of course. God is amazing and incredible and he's acts for his people. You can, if, if, if you're one of the Israelites, you can trust this God. He's going before you. It's like the most, most supernatural thing you've ever had in your life. Those are the two pictures today. This is the Old Testament. I think we don't think about it rightly. A lot of times... But I think what we're supposed to see this morning are these amazing pictures of God and his plans and who he is. Uh, this one picture of plan and care of God doing exactly what he's going to do for his people, where he's taking them, how he's guarding them to get there. And, and then this piece of who he actually is. 
If you could assume for a moment, I know what people say about assume and I'm not going to repeat it. But if you could assume for a moment that you are God's people, just make that assumption with me. Say, okay, I'm going to assume that all my questions about obedience, all my questions about, I'm just going to assume for a minute that this is my God and I am his people. What would you know for sure? I would know for sure that he's the most amazing God you've ever, ever been able to imagine. He's actually God. You have a relationship with God. The people that lead you have a relationship with God. The people in your, that you're with are, are God's people. And then the second thing you would know is he has a plan. He's got a specific plan. And he's powerfully said he's going to get you to where he wants you to go. I would know those two things, right? If, if I knew for sure I was God. The, all, the, all the questions about, I'm not sure if he really has a plan. I'm not sure. Would, would all be like, well, if I'm a Canaanite or a Hivite, uh, this is another deal. But if I'm, a, if I'm God's, then I would say, hey, I, he's got a plan. Don't, don't you think that's true, right? So what keeps me today? I'm thinking, wow, my God actually is God, and he actually has a plan. What, what derails God's plan? Well, I think what derails God's plan is what derails God's plan here. What? Well, Dax, I heard you. You said it was about Nahab and Abihu. Nadab, right? They're the guys who just in a few chapters down the road are going to get consumed because they offer strange fire to God. We're talking about the people of Israel. You know, while Moses is up there, we're not there yet. We're going to get there. While Moses is up there in the pillar of fire, getting this amazing cloud of glory, getting instructions by God that he actually writes with his own finger, the people are down below doing what? We're making an idol, and we're going to go ahead and worship a golden calf. Yeah, we're not there yet, but we'll get there. I, what, what happens is the people said, I, I will, the, the covenant was, hey, you get sprinkled with blood. You get sprinkled with blood. What is it? We will obey the rules. What are you going to do? I've got a plan. What did they not do? The rules. From the very first breath, they're worshiping another god. They can't do it. They, again, I'm not blaming God. No way. When I say they can't do it, I just mean it's evident from the annals of the pages of the Bible that they could not do it because they never did it. They didn't do it. It's not that it was too hard for them. It's not that it was too much. It's almost like it's in your best interest. You're in the presence of God. You're seeing clear glass sapphire. You're seeing God saying, I'm going to bless you. You're never going to have a miscarriage. You're seeing like these amazing things God's saying, if you just will listen to me and follow me. And they, ooh, hard pass. So what I bring down to today too often is this. That's the covenant. If I'm barren, if I'm miscarrying, if my circumstances aren't right, if my life's not going right, but God, I know, I know there's a God, I get that, but he's kind of watching to see if I'll do the obedience thing and then he'll bless me. That's what I think. So what have I done? I've put myself in that covenant. I've taken the picture of God that's true, which is God has a plan. 
for his people. I've taken the picture of God that's true. He's a real, live, amazing God. And, I, and what I've done is I've put myself into, into the Old Testament, into this covenant. What's this covenant that we've been talking about here? Well, it's the Mosaic covenant. That's literally the guys up talking to God. Or sometimes it's called the Sinaitic covenant because literally that's where they were doing this. Are you under that covenant? You better say no. No. Why? Well, you see, in the fullness of time, the, the, the person that this covenant was pointing forward to, the seed of Abraham came. You know his name, right? His name's Jesus. Jesus Christ came. And the picture that God had for his people, I've got you all the way and I'm your God. Those are true things, very true things. But the reason why and the way that I can claim and stand this morning to you and before you, that I am a child of God, that I am in the camp, that I'm his people and you're his people, have nothing to do with blood being splashed from the blood of boats, boats and goats, (laughs) bulls, right? I know, boats don't have much blood. (laughs) Boatloads of blood that they're throwing around. And Hebrews says, wait a minute, we've been sanctified once and for all by a single sacrifice of who? Jesus Christ. We have a new covenant. We have new promises. But the pictures are there, and they're there for you. They're there for me. And and I should be so confident that I can confidently stand before you this morning and say, right now, if I'm going to talk about now, just just for a minute, say now, what about now? Is, Is stop trying to get to God by keeping the rules. That's not why this picture's here. This picture certainly is here to say they didn't do the rules. I'll get that. Or it's not to say the rules are bad. They're good. It's to say, do you realize who God is? And once you start going, whoa, he's amazing, scary, powerful, omniscient. You couldn't even get too close to him. He is holy beyond compare. I can't hardly even imagine. And then I'm saying, and he has a specific plan where he's going to guard and keep his people. And I said, wow, I wish I was one of his people. But you know what? Honestly, I am a Canaanite. I come from a family of Hivites. I'm not an Israelite. I'm a pagan. How do I be in God's family? So I'm saying, well, I'll do the rules that the Israelites had and we'll try and call it good. Well, they didn't even do it. Instead, there's a savior. And my relation to God is this amazing God who's so powerful and mighty and holy. And I get this picture from Exodus and I know it's true because Exodus is clear. And then I say, wow, that God became a man, a human being, a baby even, so that we all have a relationship where we can actually look at him and not die. We can look and see the perfect representation of who God is by looking at Christ who gave himself for you and me. And therefore my only hope is in what Jesus Christ has done because his obedience and his righteousness and his holiness and all the things that he's done are given to me as a gift and the rules don't matter to me in terms of me being a person of God. This is called the gospel. This is where we live. Let me show you just a couple quick things before we finish then. 
So this is really interesting because this is the problem that we have. And it's not the problem they had, but here it is. In their case, he's talking about um, uh, unbelievers. He said, the character, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. Though that's kind of a mouthful, Dax. No, no, it's such an amazing thing. The thing that we need to see is Christ. The, the glory of God is Christ. The light of the gospel is Christ. The image that we have is Christ because he's done everything for us. Our whole hope is in him. You say, yeah, but Dax, but, but, but I'm kind of caught on, on this plan that God had where he was going to make him not barren and he was going like, to not give him miscarriages and we have this stuff all the time. Yeah, keep reading in 2 Corinthians. In fact, if you have a chance, go read 2 Corinthians chapter 4 later today. We won't read it all right now. It says we have this amazing treasure in jars of clay. The whole message is that we are trusting that God really does have a plan in spite of our lying eyes. Because Jesus actually came and Jesus actually died and it was real and what's written in this book is real and what's written in Exodus is real and the things that God did is real and and, and there they are. And so Jesus Christ came and he said, hey, trust me, I've got it all. And so to be a Christian is to trust that you're on the raft and God's your guide pushing you along. It's not some sort of pablum of, oh, Jesus, take the wheel, or, you know, God is my co-pilot. He's not your co-pilot. You're just sitting on the boat. He's doing it all. He always has. He's got an angel that's going before them to get them where they're supposed to go. And you say, well, but he, they, he, they didn't because they didn't obey. Yeah, that's that covenant. But the covenant you're in is Jesus obeyed. And therefore, by trusting Jesus, I have it all. All the things God wants for me. And in this world where now God has come and Jesus has come and he doesn't give you assurance by making everything in your life go right. He doesn't give you the, 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 the holding your hand of making sure you never have a miscarriage or you're not barren or, or, or you never lose your job or you're never hungry. Or you're not, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't. He's given you something better. He's given you Jesus and you have it forever. And he promises you that you'll be resurrected from the dead, that this is the whole idea of Christianity. He says, blessed be the God, this is First Peter. Peter says in both of his books, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. What's my living hope? I'm gonna be sin-free someday. <laughs> Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, the resurrection of Christ is my hope. He's done it all, and we know this. We just forget it. And so here's Second Peter. To, well, first, this is what we're born to, to an inheritance that imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready for even last time. Do you see that God has the same sort of plan for you and me? You say, no, 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 it's so hard. No, it's not so hard. God actually says, if you just trust Christ, I actually am keeping you right now to what's coming in the land that, that is representative of where God's gonna be with you forever. And then in 2 Peter, just one more, his divine power has granted us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Do you want that? I know there's a God. 
I know he's a plan. My question is, am I his? his?" And he says, well, no, but he's given me power, everything I need for life and godliness. Those are two amazing, huge things. And I immediately think, oh, godliness means my action. No, think, think with me. Don't lose this statement. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Who's the one who called me to his glory and excellence? Jesus. Through the knowledge of Jesus, all my sin forgiven, not me now keeping the Ten Commandments. And then he says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. You see, the whole idea that you and I have right now is that we have been promised by God that he has a plan. And so now all these pictures come into play. And if you're sitting here this morning and you can accept with me that, that they actually met God on Mount Sinai. There is a God that decided to come and interact with human beings. And that that God said, I've got a plan for you. And it's specific. And that same God is looking forward to, to Jesus Christ who became God and died on a cross that all of our sin and all of our wrongness and all the ways we didn't keep the rules that we have promised to keep, that, that those are forgiven forever by just trusting in Jesus, that we say now by trusting in Jesus, we will be in heaven forever with God. And not just that, he's got a plan for your life. It may not look like much to you, but it's God's plan. And then we can say, Hallelujah, what a savior. Because Jesus Christ has done that for you and me. And all of our lives may look like circles in the dust. All of our deeds may look like poor representations of whatever it is we think we're trying to do. But at the end of the day, God's in control of all of us. And he's got you. This is the message of Exodus brought into the reality that Jesus Christ has died and rose from the dead for you and for me. It's amazing. Look what we get. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. Lord, I'm so grateful that you're so much smarter than Paul Volcker. You're so much more amazing than anyone I've ever met. And Lord, we who are little and lost without you and so prone to go our own way, Lord, we bow before you this morning, the God of the universe, and we're so grateful that you choose us. Thank you that you've done it. Thank you that you've made a way. Thank you that you've paid for our sins. Thank you that you've made us yours by simply trusting your son. And Lord, I pray today that we might deepen and grow in our trust of you. Not because it's a work, but because it's our real hope. Thank you that you've done it all. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.